So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1402, Sharon Sung, founder of Digital Nomad Quest. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I was a marketing manager and my parents actually cried when I told them that I was going to do this whole thing. Like initially they didn't even believe me. But then when I I started asking about insurance, like uh, how it works abroad, like my mom started crying. She thought, I I didn't think you were serious. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. We are talking passive income today and how to go from quitting your job to becoming a millionaire by age 30. Our guest, Sharon Sung, is here and she speaks from experience. Sharon is the founder of DigitalNomadQuest.com. She's a serial real estate investor. She quit her job in 2016, traveled the world for two years building passive income streams, went from earning $30,000 a year in marketing to becoming a millionaire by age 30. She owns 32 rental units. And so we talk about how she did it and what her advice is for anyone else who's interested in quitting the nine to five and building multiple income streams, side hustles, and investing in real estate. What gave her the confidence, financial and emotional, to leave her job? What are all of her revenue streams? What does she think of the FIRE movement and investing in real estate right now? Really? Here's Sharon Sung. Sharon Sung, welcome to So Money. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been following your work. Everybody's been following your work. You're a superstar in the personal finance space. It's really, it's hard to not find a media platform that hasn't covered you. I'm like really late to this, uh, whether you're like CNBC, your business insider, people can't get enough of your story. And it's obvious why you are a self-made entrepreneur millionaire and you're a woman. And I, you know, there's so much to learn from you. And I hope in the next half hour, I'll be able to, to, you know, let her hear some of your secrets and how you, for example, went from working a corporate job to becoming a millionaire, how you're investing in real estate, what you think of the FIRE movement, and how you manage your money. You know, you've been very transparent on your own site, Digital Nomad Quest, and I'm hoping we'll carry some of that over to So Money, but just really grateful for you because I know you're super busy um, spending time with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for the kind words. Wow. Yeah, and so 2016, I think that's like when we should start talking, right? 2016 was... A pivotal year for you. Uh, it's when you quit your job and you traveled the world for two years, learning how to build passive income streams. And that's kind of where your entrepreneurial journey started. Take me back to that point where you felt confident to quit. I think a lot of us would love to follow in your footsteps, but tell us what we need to do before we can actually quit our jobs. Yeah. I mean, when I first started in 2014, I actually traveled around Europe for like a month and it made me realize how much life I was missing out on. I was, you know, going to the same office, same four walls every single day. And I was just like worried that that was going to be the rest of my life. So I just started studying a lot, books, podcasts, blogs, everything around uh, making passive income, 
building side hustles. I first started looking into real estate investing and then I pivoted to online side hustles. And then now I'm investing in real estate again. But, you know, leading up to that moment, I was like, I'm young, like I'm in my mid 20s. So, you know, this is this would be the time to do it. So I purchased a one way ticket actually to Stockholm six months out, basically saying I have this much time to figure it out. And I was just studying a lot, starting to attempt multiple side hustles. I picked up two part time remote positions while I was working at my full time job and trying to build like an Etsy shop, build a blog and all these different things. And then I basically put in my two weeks notice and then traveled the world for two years while trying to figure it out and build uh, passive income streams. Um, But, you know, having the multiple part time remote positions helped build up my nest egg enough where I felt more and more confident and When I left, I knew I would have these part-time remote positions that I could work on while I was working on passive income streams. So I was trying to be careful with transitioning to traveling the world for two years by doing those different steps and having something to fall fall back on, right? Like I have Mm -hmm. a nest egg and I have multiple remote positions and I booked six months of travel prior because I knew I could get the best deals doing that Mm -hmm. and have like a lot of financial security. So I wouldn't have to worry too much, essentially. Wow. So you shared essentially so much right there. I mean, that (laughs) that story in and of itself, so many lessons learned. Um, What were you doing? Uh, What was your job? And second part of that question is, I'm sure that part of the decision came with some resistance from family or culture. I don't know. What was it like to basically say, hey, everybody, I'm going to do the opposite of what everyone's (laughs) expecting of me. Um, But what were you doing? And how was that transition emotionally? Yeah. So I was a marketing manager and my parents actually cried when I told them that I was going to do this whole thing. Like initially they didn't even believe me. But then when I, I started asking about insurance, like, Uh, how it works abroad. Like my mom started crying. She thought, I I didn't think you were serious. They were worried because, you know, safety reasons as well. Like as a solo female uh, traveler, they they didn't think it was the right decision. They told me not to do it. No one around me was doing it, like none of my friends. So I was just so obsessed with this idea of building passive income and like becoming a digital nomad around the world that I think I hung out with my friends like a lot less, like less and less. I was just focused on working. So Mm. I remember at that time I was just studying and working extremely hard for this dream. To me, it was just feeling like if I didn't do this, I would regret it, right? I would never know what it was like to live somewhere else and see the world. So I just thought, you know, it's scary to go out, but it's even more scary to live a life with these regrets. Yeah, well said. What were some of the resources that helped anchor you and guide you? Because I can imagine if you go to Google and type in passive income, (laughs) you're getting a lot of junk. Let's be Uh honest. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of bad advice out there, a lot of advice that oversells, overpromises. What were some of the trusted sources that you relied on? Yeah. So, well, initially, I think the my mindset changed when I read Four Hour Work Week and Rich Dad Poor Dad. Those really opened my eyes to like making money work for me instead of trading time for money. And also the freedom uh, you can have and like how you can make a location independent life. So that was helpful in the shift for my mindset. I think that when it came to studying each different side hustle, I think I had to kind of look at different resources for specific side hustles 
um, and just like scour YouTube and all these different things. I know for blogging, I remember this website called Digital Nomad Wannabe was like a huge inspiration for me when I was first starting out. I think that like helped me think of that whole lifestyle and made it become more of a reality. And she talked a lot about blogging and SEO and stuff like that. So I started doing a lot of that. But I think like with every side hustle, you kind of have to look for those resources for each different one you attempt. And that's Mm kind of what I did. Like every single one I tried doing and then like getting it to a certain number per month. And I was like, okay, that works. Let me try a different one. And Mm -hmm. I would just document my process on my blog and like how it all worked. So that was kind of my goal, like experimenting with different ones and seeing if they can make money passively Mm -hmm. and then trying more and more. And I think what I found was each one can work. It's just really a matter of like your strengths, your passions, the amount of time you have and the amount of money you can put in and then like figuring out the different income streams that match that different criteria you have. Yeah. And you have many income streams. You have, you know, the store, you have real estate. And did I read right that you're kept, you, you've kept your day job or you have a day job? So I actually got laid off two months ago. So, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so what happened was after traveling for two years, I came back, uh, decided to take a position because what I found was when I was traveling and building up this passive income, I realized that like just hitting a numeric goal isn't the goal, essentially. It's like a means to an end. It's like a tool. Whereas at that po- at that time, I was like thinking, how do I keep increasing that number? But it didn't make me feel fulfilled or happy. And I decided to come back and try to like grow my skills, build something in- more impactful. I think that's kind of why I took the position to get even better at marketing, but also it was helpful for my real estate investments because it does make it easier to get a loan when you have a W-2. Yeah. So that, and I started building my brand even more and building these YouTube videos. And that was where like the fulfillment came in, where I'm building something that's actually really helping people versus just constantly trying out new passive income streams just to like make money but teaching people how to create, you know, freedom for themselves. Essentially, I took that job and then got laid off two months ago. But the great thing was because I had all these passive income streams that even exceeded the amount that I was making at my day job. It was more about, okay, how do I spend my time? Because Mm -hmm. I was just at the job thinking I didn't really have complaints about it. Like I was in the position where it's like, if I didn't want to work that job, I could totally leave. So now that it was gone, I'm like, okay, I should figure out how I'm going to spend my time. And I think that's the beauty of it, that I didn't have to worry about money, essentially. How has your life changed? You went from, um, you know, you went from $30,000 a year to millionaire by 30, 32 rental units. You're not any less busy these days. You're probably busier. But in terms of the quality of your life and the way that you have been budgeting your time and and the, the shifting of your goals, how is, how is your life today versus in 2016? Yeah, I think it's definitely very different. My mindset's very different. And Honestly, I'm not. I think a lot of people work really hard in this space, but I I don't work that hard. I hang out with people a lot. Like I hang out with my husband a lot. Yeah, I watch TV. I play video games. What are you watching all right now? I'm watching Indian matchmaking. 
Oh my gosh, I actually finished <laughs> that show. No, no, no spoilers. I, I watched season one. I'm like halfway. I fell asleep during like season two last night and I spoiled it for myself when I woke up. I was like, wait a minute, she's dating this guy now? Um, I have to go back, but it's so fascinating. Anyway, sidebar there. Um, okay, so I love to hear that, you know, you don't feel like you have to fill up your time with climbing Mount Everest. Like you just want to spend time with the people you care about and some good old fashioned Netflix. Yeah, I, I think that um, I've been writing actually my 101 goals. Actually, I heard that at a conference that um, 101. I have <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. The, so I was like, I, do, do you have 101 goals? How does it, how I'm do you factor like, that? I wrote up 85 so far, but it's like, it's taking so long to even just figure that out. But he said, like, if you try really hard, you'll be able to figure out that many. Um, I think the hard part is like actually writing down the ones that I truly care about. Like, I think that it would be cool um, if I can accomplish those before I die, like, you know, focusing on the ones that I I think would be extremely cool to do. So I've been writing those out and kind of exploring random like passions. I started getting into like hydroponic gardening, which is like kind of like growing your own veggies. (laughs) And then like, I'm like into I want to learn like how to fish. So I like bought like fishing poles and a book about it. (laughs) And I used to make music. Actually, I had a whole YouTube channel around music. So I started like setting up my production gear again. So it's kind of cool to have that time to be able to like explore all the different things I want to do. Um, Like who you really are, because we're not just we're not just Etsy store owners, right? (laughs) Yeah. We actually have interests beyond uh, transacting. You moved to Dallas recently, and I want to transition us to talking a little bit more about real estate and investing because that's, I think, important to my audience. But tell me what prompted you to move and was it because you wanted to be closer to some of your investments? Yeah. So we have investments in California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, that was a big reason I wanted to move to Dallas. It sounded crazy at the time, but then like my husband ended up being on board and then we moved and we're basically house hacking right now where our home in the Bay Area, we're Airbnb it out as a midterm rental. And then it makes up for the mortgages for that home as well as our Dallas home, which is really amazing that, you know, we don't have to uh, talk about arbitrage it's really nice that it makes up for everything. And and then we have the other rental units, but essentially being in Dallas, I can be closer to the invest uh, our investments and we can um, invest more heavily in Texas. So that's kind of where we're focused on right now. I think that- Why in Texas? Bay- what, yeah. What, what's, um, what's up with Texas? <laughs> well, actually we've been having a really good time here. We find the, the cash flow works well here and the appreciation- in the Bay Area, it's really hard to get an offer accepted, whereas like in Dallas, it is easier and like the surrounding cities, it's easier to win the offer, essentially. So we're thinking we can grow our portfolio even more like exponentially out here. Tell me something people don't know when they imagine life as a real estate investor. It sounds so cool because you know, it's tangible and all these channels like HGTV, like fixing up a house, if you're into it. I mean, it it can be very rewarding for people who are into those kinds of activities. And it's kind of fun because I guess as the owner, you you are in control, right? Like a little Mm -hmm. bit, like, yes, the market will kind of do its thing, but it's not like a stock. Like you can Mm -hmm. upgrade your home, you can fix up the lawn, you can give it more curb appeal. You can do a lot of things to kind of make it more attractive for the market. 
what I want to know from you is like, what have been the hard things that you've learned? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's fun to me to have like properties we can work on and it's something that I want to continuously get better at, but there are definitely going to be tenant issues, you know, big renovations that we work on that I think a lot of people like wouldn't want to attempt. And especially for our latest projects, we've been buying really distressed homes. Uh, We bought this like $120,000 moldy house. It was extremely moldy inside. The entire house was filled with it and no one had occupied it for two years. We're learning a lot in the process. Like we didn't, we hadn't done mold uh, remediation before and stuff like that. So we kind of like learn as we go. And I think that's usually the best step of like taking action and learning along the way. But I think that a lot of people won't want all that hassle essentially to like Mm -hmm. buy these distressed homes and like try to figure it out. So I think that's probably the the thing that people, you know, people think this is all glamorous, but there's going to be a lot of, <laughs> there's there can be issues. But I think if you figure out the blueprint and like get it going, real estate has dramatically increased my net worth and can grow your wealth immensely. But right now I, re- I saw you and your hu- husband, I believe he's your business partner as well, are pausing on making acquisitions at the moment. Tell us why. So we're kind of slowing down, but we do have a small project we're working on right now. And we actually are putting in an offer on another one, but I think that it's a lot slower than how we were uh, doing it a few, like these last few years. Because we do see uh, the market shifting a little bit and it's slowing down and we're kind of seeing where the bottom is. And obviously it's hard to time the market, but we're just kind of watching and, you know, we see interest rates are really high right now. That's why we're kind of saving up cash and just watching out seeing if we can get even better deals towards the end of the year. Have you been able to raise your rents or are you raising your rents in this climate? I typically don't really raise rents unless like the tenant moves out because I don't really want to increase rents for them. And if I do, it's going to be below or um, average market rents. Like I think as a landlord, there's you got to have some kindness for the tenants and mm-hmm. not try to like spike up rents like crazy or anything like that. So I, I try to keep it you know, manageable for them. And, but then when they move out, I'll, I'll probably like make them the home more rent ready, Mm -hmm. um, see if there's any renovations I can make and then increase it accordingly, essentially. By the way, thank you for doing that. That's like really good of you. And I don't think that's a a small thing. I think that there's a lot of greed out there and, um, I had a sense you were going to say what you did, but I just wanted to, um, ask because, you know, while yes, interest rates are going up and it's harder to acquire, um, like the house you were going to buy this year versus last year as an investment property is probably more expensive in terms of, you know, the cost, but then maybe you would justify it and say, well, rents are also higher, so I can also make more cash flow. But that math is not necessarily what you would want to do. All right. You're huge on social media. And I want to learn from you because um, you've been you know, 500 plus thousand followers on TikTok, lots and lots of followers on Instagram and YouTube everywhere. Well, let's focus on TikTok for a second. I'm, I'm just curious, what is the strategy there and who's coming to watch your videos on TikTok? Is it like who we think? He's like, you know, 20 year olds who are trying to strike it rich or, or what are you learning from TikTok as far as your audience? Yeah, I think the audience has changed a lot in the sense of, I think a Everyone thinks it's like the Gen Z app, but I think that now as the app has evolved, I think all audiences have come on board. So I think that 
my audience is kind of around like 25 to 34 year olds for my personal audience and um, just interested in side hustles and real estate. Uh, in terms of TikTok, I think that it's really about watch time. So you have to kind of like, uh, you know, not have long pauses or babble and stuff like that. You have to cut those out uh, because you want to make sure they watch through the whole thing so that it signifies to the algorithm that it's a valuable piece of content and spreads that piece of content to wider audiences. Mm. So it's really about that and making sure you hook the audience in the beginning, like two seconds. So with something catchy, you know, I say like side hustle idea, number blank, and people think, oh, I'm going to learn something about making money. And she has a 10 part series or whatever, and I should watch through all the other ones. Try to hook them in the beginning and try to increase the watch time and engagement as well. I read an article where you were talking about, you know, um, sort of like the four steps to how you've been managed to, you know, build your financial life and your business. And one of them was that focus on learning high paying skills. And I'm hearing a lot of marketing skills from you, obviously, because that's, you know, that was your career. But um, is that it? Is that like at the end of the day, you got to be a good salesperson and then you can transfer that to any platform, whether you're trying to, and I'm talking more for someone who wants to be, let's say a creator right now, you know, a digital nomad. And with real estate, a lot of it is, is marketing. Um, but tell us a little bit about what you have invested in, in terms of skills and what you would advise others now to invest in if they're looking to be entrepreneurial like you. Yeah, I think for me, I've, I focused on marketing because for me, I could build my own personal brand. And if I wanted to, I can take on clients and help them with their social media or paid ads. And that's kind of what I did. Um, so uh, when I took those part-time remote positions, I was designing uh, paid ads for people and managing other people's Facebook ads. It definitely can be lucrative if you uh, continuously grow your skills in marketing. But I wouldn't say that's like the only thing. Like there's obviously coding um, in the Bay Area, you could get paid a ton, right? So it's like learning these skills that could have high potential and then investing that money back into uh, your business. And I would also say like, even look into the ones that have uh, no cap. And I know you mentioned sales. So like even as a real estate agent or as a loan officer, like you could uh, you could make more from commissions so that there's no cap. So if you wanted to put in more hours to make more, you could totally do that. So just focusing mm -hmm. on the skills that can bring in more money that you can put it back into your investments, back into your side hustles that can help grow your wealth immensely. What's your definition of FIRE, Sharon? Well, we know the definition is financial independence, retire early, but what does it mean to you? Because I think the meaning is different for a lot of people. Some people say it's like literally sitting on a beach, you know, at 45. Others would say it's just, you know, you could have a full-time job, but you're not beholden to that job. You have other income coming in. How would you define it for yourself? Yeah, I think to me, it's being able to live the life that is in line with yourself, I guess. So I think that if if it does mean you want to take a job, that's totally fine. If you do want to go, you know, travel, it's totally fine too. But I think at the end of the day, it's just what makes sense for you. And I think it's also doing what matters so mm -hmm. for me, like I'm like writing out those 101 goals. I'm working on the things that I care about and also outlining what I care about in my life. I care about spending time with my family and friends. I care about, you know, building these side hustles and helping people 
uh, with their personal finance, creating that financial freedom for themselves. I'm passionate about creating in general. So, mm-hmm. so that can mean business, that can mean real estate, that can mean music. So I think it's a matter of finding what fulfills you and what makes sense for you. Because I mm-hmm. think for me, when I was in Chiang Mai, uh, basically towards the end of my two-year trip, I found a lot of people were relaxing and just covering their minimal expenses. And I thought that was fine for them. But for me, I realized that it wasn't fulfilling enough for me that Mm -hmm. I wanted to work on more things and learn and grow. So it's okay to come back and like take a job if you want. It's about doing what you want since you won't have financial restrictions, essentially. And it sounds like, you know, you're beating to your, you're beating your own drum. Mm -hmm. I I wonder though, when it comes to quote unquote, enough, right? You talked a little bit earlier about you got to this point where it was just like chasing money and, you know, it wasn't, you kind of reached a point where it wasn't more money didn't mean more happiness. And mm-hmm. you really wanted, you realized you wanted to invest more in your skills and go back to learning more and got the job. And for anyone listening who wants to identify for themselves, what is their enough number in terms of whatever they're seeing in their bank account or, you know, sometimes we think it's like once I make six figures or then it's like once I make a million dollars and then it's like, you know, at what point do you, do you recommend saying, okay, take a pause and reevaluate what you're doing? Because really at this point, it's just making money for money's sake and you're missing the bigger picture. Yeah. I think that, uh, Honestly, you can calculate your monthly expenses and kind of use that 4% rule, for example, um, which is just kind of a guideline uh, to start out with. But like using that can help you um, understand if that that makes sense for you. For example, if you spend 40 grand a year, then maybe a million is enough because of that 4% rule. But I think that you kind of have to evaluate with your personal situation, like how much are you planning to spend and like how long, like for the rest of your life and like how many years is that essentially and like how long you can last with that. We we have to evaluate those things because it can be easy to think that it's never enough because that's like what I find that uh, a lot of these content creators do struggle with is like comparison. Like they start looking at other people who do similar things and they're like, oh, I could be doing more and more. But if you hone in back on like, uh, you actually need to live a good life, then everything else is kind of bonus. And you should just remember that and like uh, remind yourself that money isn't everything. You don't want to live the rest of your life and realize uh, on your deathbed that you like worked the enti- your entire life and then you're, you missed out on a lot essentially. Yeah. This reminds me of a, a guest, Jordan Grummet, who was on the show, talked about talking to people towards the end of their lives and what they regretted and what they were happy about. No one really talked about like, I'm so happy that I got the raise. I think, you know, when we're living our lives, those things are important for sure. Like making more money can improve your quality of life and you should earn what you're worth. But the experiences that we have in life, I think his lesson really was that focus on the experiences and not really the transactions as much. Um, mm-hmm. The transactions come and go, but the experiences um, can fill your memories and can be far more fulfilling than um, money in the bank sometimes. So Sharon, thank you so much. This is our yeah. time to say goodbye to you because you have to go back to fishing, I guess. <laughs> 
<laughs> please keep us posted. Please post that stuff online too. I feel like we get a lot of Sharon giving us advice on how to be financial warriors, but like show us the fishing stuff too. Show us like, you know, what you're watching on Netflix if you're open to it. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm kind of doing a little series on my YouTube that I'll, I'll do like a life after retirement, chapter one, two, Ooh. three. <laughs> Very we'll good. Very good. <laughs> Everybody check out Digital Nomad Quest. You're all over TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. Am I missing anything? Yeah. You can use my full name for all the social channels and then website would be Digital Nomad Quest. We'll put all that in our episode notes. Sharon, thanks a lot. Have a great one. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Sharon for joining us. Check her out at digitalnomadquest.com and all of the social media links will be provided in our episode notes. I'll see you back here on Wednesday and I hope your day is so money. Money.